Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 15, verse 1. John chapter 15, we're going to be in verses 1 through 11 as we embark on week number 2 of the sermon series, The Fullness of Life from John chapter 10, verse 10 where it says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. These are the words of Jesus. And the ESV calls it life abundant. Abundant from the Greek parasos, which means over and above, more than is necessary, superior, extraordinary, surpassing, uncommon. The kind of life that you would expect of people who literally have God Almighty dwelling within them. A victorious overcoming, fruitful life that stands out for the right reasons and captures the attention of a watching world. And if you think that such a life is only for a select few super-Christians, you'd be greatly mistaken, for the truth of the matter is, as we learned last week, fullness or abundance is the normal Christian life. Fullness or abundance is the normal Christian life. Now, how do I know this? How can I make that statement? Number one, Jesus promised it. When he said there in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life um, and have it to the full, they refers to all of us and not just a select few. And the second reason that I know that fullness or abundance is the normal Christian life is because the Holy Spirit produces it. And which of us as believers has the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit? All of us, every single one of us. So Jesus promised it, the Holy Spirit produces it, fullness or abundance is the normal Christian life, and anything less is subnormal. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to becoming more and more normal over the course of this sermon series. So with that in mind, we're going to look at some key topics over the next few months, abiding in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. Um, the community of the Spirit, and the warfare of the Spirit. And today we're going to focus on that first key topic, which is abiding in Christ. And today's text gives us, last week it was a blueprint for the abundant life. Today we have elements of an abundant life. It is the fruit, the vine, the branches, and the vine dresser. But before we dive into the text, let's take a few moments to talk about the setting of the text. John 15 is found right in the middle of what is known as Jesus' farewell discourse. His farewell discourse. These are Jesus' final instructions to his disciples before his arrest and crucifixion. So we know that these words possess some special importance. This is what Jesus wants to leave with them, what they really need to know in his absence, and they are important words for us today as well. Next, these words are spoken on the walk to Gethsemane. We know all about Gethsemane and how Jesus prayed and sweat drops of blood formed as he prayed with such intensity. But during that walk to Gethsemane, Jesus and his disciples would have passed through many vineyards, many, many vineyards. 
And as Jesus was known to do, he used his surroundings to teach important spiritual truths. And that is the case here in John 15, as Jesus teaches about the elements of the abundant life by using the imagery of the vine and the branches in a vineyard. And so with that in mind, would you please stand with me as I read today's text? John 15, verses 1 through 11. Jesus said these words to his disciples, and he says them to us. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned." If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray together? Father, this is honestly one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. And so I pray that that excitement for the passage would come through as I preach, as I speak. I pray that it would be with clarity and with power. God, give us all ears to hear this morning. May your Holy Spirit be present amongst us, in us, through us, working mightily, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, to truly understand this spiritual metaphor, this word picture of the vine and the branches, we need to know some facts about grapes. Anybody like grapes? Raisins? Raisin brand's one of my go-tos in the morning, okay? Um, and honestly, this is probably more information than anyone. I have ruined grapes for a, a group of 7th and 8th grade football players who are wide receivers. I was teaching them about blocking and the importance of keeping your hands in And I heard this somewhere else. I just shared it with them. I said, pretend that you have grapes in your armpits, and you have to hold those grapes in to keep your hands in, to keep you from... Anyway, they, they, they told me, so, well, we can't eat grapes ever again. Um, <laughs> But the fact of the matter is grapes are the most widely grown fruit in the world. Do you know that? Even today, grapes are central to Israel's economy. They're big business. And I found this to be fascinating. For their size, vines are very productive, yielding as much as 80 pounds of grapes in a season. One vine, as much as 80 pounds. And dead branches that have not been removed can spread disease and destroy productivity. So I know some of you are feverishly writing those words in your notes. Grown Israel's 80 and removed. You got it? All right. So with these facts in mind about grapes, let's examine these elements of an abundant life. The fruit, the vine, the branches, and the vine dresser. 
First of all, the fruit. And in regard to fruit, there are four important questions I think we have to ask so that we understand the metaphor here. Uh, First of all, in the spiritual metaphor of the vine, what is fruit? Why is fruit important? How much fruit should we expect? And how is fruit produced? So let's look at that first question. What is fruit? I believe the very simple answer is that fruit is the overflow of Christ in us. Fruit is the overflow of Christ in us. And that can take many forms. For example, the fruit of the Spirit. As it says in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are all examples of the overflow of Christ in us. And we're going to take an in-depth look at each one of these fruits of the Spirit in the weeks to come. Next example of fruit, I believe, is the fruit of our witness. Lost souls coming to salvation through our testimony in both word and deed. Romans 1.13 refers to this when it says, I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit just as I have seen among other Gentiles. Here the Apostle Paul in context, I believe, is speaking about spiritual fruit in terms of a harvest of lost souls just as he did in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, when he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. These agricultural word pictures that are used here specifically in terms of our witness. And then thirdly, the overflow of Christ in us is the fruit of our works. The fruit of our works. Jesus said in John 15, 16, we'll get to that in a couple weeks, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, Fruit that will do what? Last. That's interesting, isn't it? Fruit that will last. What is fruit that will last? I believe that this is the the works that pass the test of fire at the judgment seat of Christ. Those things that are not burned up, but those things that will last for eternity in the form of eternal rewards. That is fruit that will last, the fruit of our works. And so what is fruit? the overflow of Christ in us, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of our witness, and the fruit of our works. And as you can see, these are all complementary, aren't they? They all work together. The fruit of the Spirit certainly impacts the fruit of our witness, and it's all encapsulated in the fruit of our works. And to see how these all work together will be our privilege in the next few weeks. And so next question about fruit is, is why does it matter? Why, Why is it important? Who cares if we bear fruit or not? What's the big deal? Um, I prayed a prayer to receive Christ. Can't I just sit still and be calm until Jesus comes back? And the answer is no. First, fruit is first and foremost important because it glorifies God. Fruit is first and foremost important because it glorifies God. Look at verse 8 of John 15. Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. You see, the overflow of Christ in us as expressed through the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of our witness, the fruit of our works, this honors God. It brings glory to Him. It makes His name famous wherever we go. Fruit-bearing is the very essence of worship, of adoring Him, and behaving, acting, living in such a way that the world takes notice. It's the very purpose for which we were created. And so the more fruit that is in our lives, the more God is glorified. But conversely, um, little fruit means little worship. 
And I know that you all want to be the best worshipers that we can be because God is worthy, is he not? He is worthy. So no wonder fruit matters so much to God, and it ought to matter to us as well. Next, fruit is secondarily important because it proves our identity in Christ. It proves our identity in Christ. Look at verse 8 again. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Prove to be my disciples. Jesus said in Matthew 7.20, by their fruit you will know them. Fruit gives evidence of the authenticity of our faith in Christ. I love that old question. Hey, if, if you were put on trial today for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? The evidence is your fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of your witness, the fruit of your works. Remember these two guys last week? Right? Hank the happy heathen and Chris the cranky Christian. And it's my contention that Chris the cranky Christian has a fruit problem. His life neither glorifies God nor gives evidence of his identity in Christ. Next question about fruit. How much fruit should we expect you may have noticed that the answer was given away already in verse 8. Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. And we might say abundant fruit. Remember when I was giving some facts about grapes at the beginning? And we learned that for their size, vines are very productive, yielding as much as 80 pounds of grapes in a season. Again, lots of grapes for one vine, and I don't think that's an accident that Jesus used this metaphor. So it is to be in our lives. They are to bear much fruit and be marked by fullness and abundance, giving glory to God and evidence of our salvation. All right, the last question about fruit is, how is it produced? And that actually leads to the second element of the abundant life, which is the vine, the vine. Here it is important to know that in the production of grapes, the vine is the source of life. In the production of grapes, the vine is the source of life. It is here that the nutrients pass, all of the energy and the plant, everything that is life-giving comes through the vine. No vine means no life, which means no fruit. And so Jesus says, I am the true vine. Jesus is the vine. He is the source of life, and without him there is no life, which means that there is no fruit. Now, it needs to be said that to a Jewish audience, Jesus' proclamation of, I am the vine, was a bombshell. It was almost scandalous. Because throughout the Old Testament, Israel was portrayed as the vine. And the vine actually became a symbol of national pride for Israel. For example, it showed up on their money. You see on the, the one side there is a, a cluster of grapes on their money, which makes sense, again, in part because grapes were big business. As we said earlier, that even today, grapes are central to Israel's economy. But grapes were also an important symbol of Israel's spiritual identity, demonstrated by the fact that even a grapevine, a large, magnificent grapevine, adored the columns of the temple in Jerusalem, Herod's temple. The Jewish historian Josephus called this a marvel of size and artistry, 
and that some of these grape clusters were even the height of a man. That's how big this was. You can kind of see in the model there the size of people and how big this column was and this grapevine. The image of the vine was sacred to Israel. And over the years, many, many Jews had put their trust in this symbol of their national identity, equating salvation with their Jewish heritage. But now, Jesus says, your trust is misplaced. Israel is not the source of life. I am. You've been putting your trust in a false vine. In contrast, I am the true vine, the source of life. And church, that may describe some of you today. Perhaps some of you have put your trust in a false vine. You believe something else will ultimately give you life and make you fruitful. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus has told us, only He is the true vine. It is only He that gives life. And so we have here in John 15, we've got the elements of an abundant life, which include the fruit, the vine. Now let's talk about the branches. And here it's important to know that in the production of grapes, the branches bear fruit as they are connected to the life-giving vine. The branches bear fruit as they are connected to the life-giving vine. And I, I overly emphasize that word bear because there's a big difference between bearing fruit and producing fruit. All the difference in the world. You see, to produce something is to cause it to happen or to come into existence. That's what it means to produce something. And for many of us, this is where our frustration comes in when it comes to the full or abundant life. We, we, we grit our teeth and we try so hard to produce fruit. We try really hard to be like Jesus and we fail miserably in our strength. Or maybe I should say in our weakness. We become very disillusioned with our meager results. And so for some of you, as we talk about fullness and abundance, you're, you're a little cynical. You're like, yeah, that, that's an unattainable standard. Something I've tried before, and it didn't work. The issue is that we were never meant to produce fruit. We were never meant to cause it to happen or to come into existence. Instead, branches are designed to bear fruit and not to produce it. And again, that difference is all the difference in the world. Whose job is it to produce fruit? It's the, it's the vine. God, Jesus. That's where the life is. That's where there are nutrients and energy. The vine causes fruit to happen through the branches, branches which are only meant to bear fruit. And that's why Jesus says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Believers are the branches. Last week, our dependence upon Jesus was expressed in the relationship between a sheep and a shepherd, right? And we talked about the, the, what it is to be a sheep. Sheep are dumb, defenseless, and directionless, right? And um, totally dependent upon the shepherd. Today, our dependent relationship is expressed by the image of a vine and branches. And branches are completely and utterly dependent upon the vine for life and for fruitfulness. What happens to a branch disconnected from the vine? It's dead, and it will be fruitless. 
And so the believers are instructed in verse 4, Jesus says, abide in me. And then I love this part, and I in you. There's some mutuality here, isn't there? As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, we see the repetition of that word abide, and actually, if you go back in the entire passage, the 11 verses, that word abide actually occurs in some form 11 times. 11 times. So you get the idea that abiding is pretty important, right? I mean, if Jesus says something once, you better listen. But if he says it 11 times, you know it's absolutely crucial. Jesus wants to make sure that we all get this, that the branch must absolutely abide in the vine. But what does it mean to abide? We could easily gloss over that, and you're like, I don't know what that actually means practically. The word abide comes from the Greek menate, which means to stay or remain. To stay or remain. And in, in, in the spiritual metaphor, I believe it means to be ruthlessly vigilant, to do everything possible to cling to Jesus, the life-giving vine. To be ruthlessly vigilant, to do everything possible to cling to Jesus, the life-giving vine. To cling to Him as if your very life and fruitfulness depended upon it because it does. Practically speaking, we abide in Jesus when we do three things. When we fellowship with Him, when we trust Him, and when we obey Him. And let me take just a moment to examine each one of these elements of abiding. First of all, uh, we abide in Jesus when we fellowship with Him. You see, abiding is all about connection, isn't it? To stay, to remain, to cling. The branch connected to the vine. And to be connected in a relationship requires time. There's just no other way to say it. It requires time and lots of of it. A great picture of what it means to abide, I believe. If we go back to the Old Testament and we think of Moses in this thing called the tent of meeting. Remember that? And Moses would go into the tent of meeting and he would linger in the presence of God in that tent. And then he would exit from the tent. And what did people notice about Moses? They noticed how his face would glow because he had been lingering in the presence of God. I believe that's a beautiful picture of what it means to abide, to fellowship with Jesus. And these, it's through these times of unhurried, lingering fellowship that we learn to hear God's voice. Just as the sheep last week learned to hear and recognize the voice of the shepherd in last week's metaphor, and inevitably, when we hear God's voice, He will lead us to take steps of action, requiring us to do the second thing that has to do with abiding, which is to trust Him. To trust Him. Even when what He is leading us to do doesn't make earthly sense. And that'll happen, won't it? It's like, you want me to do what? Think about the examples in the Bible where God shows up, there's fellowship that happens, God speaks, the person hears, and God leads them to do something that earthly speaking was just like, that's dumb. <laughs> Why would anybody do that? I just think of the example of Abraham, and God shows him, says, Abraham, 
Go to the land I will show you. Pretty vague, right? And Abraham, Abraham had a choice to make, and he wrestled with that choice at various times. But would God trust, would Abraham trust what he heard from God, or would he not? It's especially in these times where we're called to trust, to step out of our comfort zones and do the hard thing. It's in those hard circumstances that require faith where fruit especially grows and is visible. And when we make the willful decision to trust Him, then we obey Him. We put our faith into action, becoming doers of the word and not hearers only. Just as Jesus said in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And then listen to this. This is a very important aspect of abiding. If you keep my commandments, if you obey me, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Church, nothing hinders our abiding and therefore our fruitfulness quite like disobedience. Disobedience, unconfessed sin, is a surefire way to sabotage a full or abundant life. And I I can't help but think, if for some of us who are struggling with this, maybe this is ground zero in our quest for fruitfulness. It's some area of disobedience in our lives. And we wonder, why? Where's the fullness? Where's the abundance? And, And God says, there's disobedience that is hindering abiding, which is hindering fruitfulness. And that leads to a joyless, miserable experience. Listen to these words from D.A. Carson. He said, No one is more miserable than the Christian who for a time hedges in his obedience. He does not love sin enough to enjoy its pleasures and does not love Christ enough to relish holiness. He perceives that his rebellion is iniquitous, but obedience seems distasteful. He does not feel at home any longer in the world, but his memory of his past associations and the tantalizing lyrics of his old music prevent him from singing with the saints. He is a man most to be pitied, and he cannot forever remain ambivalent. You see, that indecisive disobedience, that no man's land, that limbo that many of us find ourselves in that is described here, it leads to great oppression, great depression, and certainly something lacking abundant life because we are not truly abiding in the vine. In contrast, Jesus describes in verse 11 a life of obedient abiding. He says this in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you. Why? that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. You see, a life of obedient abiding is a life of fullness of joy. It's the kind of life described in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So here's the key to this whole series. If you get nothing else today, get this. Abiding in Christ is the key to abundance. Abiding in Christ is the key to abundance. Without abiding in Christ, through fellowship, trust, and obedience, you will never experience the fullness that He intends for you. But when we abide, when we cling vigilantly to Jesus, there is the promise of abundance. How much abundance? 
This is a fascinating verse, verse 7. Jesus says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Abracadabra, right? Now let's be careful. This is not a genie in a bottle, prosperity gospel concept. Rather, it is the fruit of a branch that is so connected to Christ through fellowship, trust, and obedience, so connected that his or her thoughts, Jesus' I'm sorry, Jesus' thoughts become our thoughts. And his desires become our desires, that, that level of abiding. And so that when we pray, we are in complete alignment with him and his will and can pray with this kind of confidence that we can ask whatever we wish and it will be done for us. Does that make sense? That's the kind of abiding that Jesus wants to lead us to. So, Elements of an abundant life. The fruit, the vine, the branches, finally the vine dresser. What's a vine dresser? Well, um, in the production of grapes, the vine dresser is in charge of caring for the vines to maximize fruit production. That's their job. It's the gardener. He does whatever is necessary to ensure that the vine produces through the branches the maximum amount of fruit. Verse 1 identified the vine dresser in our spiritual metaphor when Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. God the, God the Father is the cultivator of the vine and the branches. He is the gardener doing whatever, and again, I emphasize that word whatever, he will do whatever is necessary to achieve the maximum amount of fruitfulness. And so, any vine dresser deals with two types of branches. Number one, he deals with branches that do not bear fruit. And so what does a vine dresser do when he's confronted with branches that do not bear fruit? We go back to verse 2. It says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He takes away. Remember that earlier point from the facts about grapes that Dead branches that have not been removed can spread disease and inhibit productivity. And so, what does the vine dresser do with the dead branches? Um, he purges them. He purges them. He takes them away. And as it says in verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, there's a lot of debate over who these branches are that get taken away, that get purged, and get thrown into the fire. Um, I am of the belief that these dead branches represent people who had some superficial connection with Jesus. They had some encounter. They were intrigued by him for a while, but never exercised saving faith. Now, in the immediate context here in the Gospels, with Jesus and his disciples, who was a prime example of one of these branches? Judas. Judas, who had some encounter, some experience, but did not, in my understanding, exhibit saving faith because there was not fruit, and so proved that he was not genuinely saved. And ultimately, he was removed from the other branches. And so, 
First of all, vine dressers deal with branches that do not bear fruit, but they also deal with branches that do bear fruit. And watch what he does to them in verse 2. Jesus says, every branch that does bear fruit, he does what? He prunes. He prunes. He cuts it back that it may bear more fruit. The vine dresser prunes branches that do bear fruit. Now let's talk about what pruning is. Pruning is a strategic cutting, even of healthy tissue, that leads to greater fruitfulness. And as you can probably guess, these are sharp shears or instruments, knives that, that lead to the pruning. Pruning hurts but it is absolutely essential to achieving maximum fruit harvest. When um, I was pastoring in California, I had this really cool office with these the, the sliding glass doors that opened up onto a beautiful rose garden with mountains in the background. Now, my office now, I look out on the alley and a tombstone <laughs> business, okay? <laughs> Just the way it is. Um, how many years did you have that view? Oh, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but what's interesting about that rose garden, certain times of year, it was just the most gorgeous, beautiful picture. Um, these were just, just grown and cared for in such a very special manner. And each one of those rose bushes, they were, it was a memorial rose garden, so be careful what you did with the rose bushes. Um, but it was beautiful, except for certain times of year. And so those of you who are keeper of roses, um, these things would get cut back so they were just like little sticks coming out of the ground. And it looked like they were dead. It looked like they were, they were ugly. But it was absolutely essential to do that radical cutting, that radical pruning to ensure that the plant could be the best that it could possibly be. And in certain times of the year, they were stunning. And that's, I think, a, an important picture for us to understand what pruning is all about. It's absolutely essential to be pruned to experience the fuller abundant life. Listen to what Warren Wearsby says about pruning. He said, The greatest judgment God could bring to a believer would be to let him alone, to let him have his own way. Because God loves us, he prunes us and encourages us to bear more fruit for his glory. If the branches could speak, they would confess that prune, the pruning process hurts, but they would also rejoice that they will be able to produce more and better fruit. Your heavenly Father is never nearer to you than when He is pruning you. I think all of us would initially, we would say, hey, I want to bear more fruit. But would we also say, God, would you do absolutely whatever is required in my life, whatever pruning is necessary to enable that abundant fruit to grow? Here's something else I learned from the pruning of grapevines. Um, sometimes the vine dresser has to cut the flowery, flow, cut the flowery, most outwardly beautiful part of the plant in order to achieve maximum fruitfulness. Now let the implications of that sink in for just a moment. In, in the, the grapevine, you have to kind of choose. Do you want fruit or do you want flowers? What's a grapevine for? It's primarily for fruit. What this means to our lives, or another way to say this, is the wise gardener knows that good must sometimes be sacrificed for better. 
You see, there's a lot of good things in our lives. And I think part of the problem we have, there's so many good things in our lives that they become a distraction to the best things. They get in the way of the best things. They get in the way of the abundance of fruit that God wants to bring. And so part of the pruning process may very well be that that God comes to cut deeply some of the good things in our lives in order that the best fruit can grow. And I just wonder what good things in your life are crowding out the best fruit. And so the elements of an abundant life, the fruit, the vine, the branches, the vine dresser. Let's finish by addressing some questions for application. I'd love for you to take these home and to to meditate on them this week. First question, how would you describe your level of fruitfulness? Is it none? Is it some? Or is it that word much that was used on multiple occasions in John 15? Secondly, and you know what? I will, I will mail, email you this slide because I know it's not in your notes, okay? I will email you this slide through uh, the church email. Now, second question, are you attempting to produce fruit or to bear fruit? So many times in my life, I have sought to be a producer of fruit and wondered why that didn't work out. Jesus said, without me, you can't do anything. Are you attempting to produce fruit or to bear fruit? Question three, how is your abiding, specifically when it comes to fellowship, trust, and obedience? And which of those three do you need to grow in the most? And lastly, how do you sense the Father is pruning you? Is there good in your life that is hindering the best? And at at the end of the day, what I appreciate about this passage is that it all comes down to a principle of beautiful simplicity I like simple things, and it doesn't get much more simple than this. At the end of the day, as branches, the branches that we are, we have one job. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that liberating? We have one job, and that is to abide in Jesus, the vine. We so unnecessarily complicate things. We have one job, to abide in Jesus, the vine, which means to be ruthlessly vigilant, to do everything possible to cling to Jesus, the life-giving vine, through fellowship, through trust, and through obedience, and let the vine dresser and the vine take care of everything else. Uh, one book that I was reading, it's uh, F-Y-N-O-B. F-Y-N-O-B. Fruit is none of your business. Whose business is the fruit? It's God the Father and God the Son. The fruit is up to the vine dresser and the vine. The branch has no say except in the abiding. But at the end of the day, the fruit that God wants to bring out of your life, it's his business. Our job, one job, is to abide in the vine. They are the fruit producers. We are merely the fruit bearers. And when we get this right, we will be well on our way to experiencing the fullness of or abundance of life. And so would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray that even beyond this sermon, that through these questions at the end, that you would speak to us, believing that you have growth for all of us, you have pruning to do in all of us. There is better fruit yet to come for all of us, regardless of our age. God, I pray for those who 
may just feel like that it's whatever age they are, it's like, no, there, there, there isn't much growth left to take place. God, I pray that you would correct them gently. That for all of us, God, that we would learn more and more what our one job is and that we would excel at that one job of abiding in the vine, Jesus Christ. God, I pray for encouragement for each and every person in this room today, that you are at work for our good, you love us, you care for us, and the best is yet to come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.